Well, it's great to see everyone here. We're glad you're here. Of course, last Sunday we had a level three, which then it's illegal to be out on the road, so we canceled our service. I hate canceling church. I just got to tell you that. I struggle with that. I, I don't like it. And uh, we're going to figure something out next time. We may just, you know, we canceled the first service and then they didn't lift it. I, and they're kind of slow to lift those things on the weekend. I think next time we're just saying third service live, come if you want, but we're doing this thing and tune in. Uh, but we'll, we'll figure that out. Friday night, Jess was just talking. She had a great turnout for ladies night out. And so ladies, if you weren't there, you missed a great time, a bunch, bunch of women there and just seemed to have a great time. We are in a series called Now or Never, and it's about making change, making change in the Christian life. And so we started off a few weeks ago uh, with Romans chapter 12, that we would be uh, different people, that, that we would follow God, that we would give our bodies really as living sacrifices to God, and that we would do that by the renewing of our mind. And that renewing of our mind happens when we take in God's truth, it changes our thinking. And so we started off talking about why people desire change, why Christians especially want to change, how to change. And then the last time we were together, two weeks ago, we talked about the old self and the new self in the Christian life, which is kind of a weird thing to think about, but the sort of the dual nature of man, how how we have this new life in Christ, but we have this old self kind of hanging on to us. And then when we were talking two weeks ago, this is where I'm going to be humbled, I actually rhymed my four points. And I, yeah, yeah, you guys thought that was funny, didn't you? I rhymed my four points, and I did that to try to help people to remember, this is what's going to teach me probably to never do that again. How many think they could come up with the rhyme of the four points from two weeks ago. That's what I thought. That's why I'll never do that again. <laughs> How about if I give you the first line? Leave your old self behind. Who said that? That was, okay, all right. That was so good that I'm going to come back here and grab some t-shirts. I'm very impressed. I got to tell you, uh, it sounded like you had some people helping you back there. I mean, that was good stuff. So come on, come on up. I can't throw it that far. So uh, here you go. Here, here they come. Ready? Ready? Oh, that was, that was like dead. Whoa, dead. The first one was dead on. Sorry about that. Yeah. And if you like pink. Hey, I, I, I'm a pretty good marksman there. So yeah, thanks. So let's try that all one more time with the words, all right? Okay, are you ready? Leave your old self behind by re... Put on the new... You guys actually know this better than I do. Oh, you're reading it. That's right. Leave your old self behind and put on your new by renewing your mind for a God-changed you. All right. Hey, I'm impressed. Good job. Thank you very much for allowing me to do that. Now, here's the trouble. So we've been talking the last two times we met together, and, and, and we're just giving information. We're talking about how we learn God's truth. That changes our thinking. As our thinking changes, that changes our behavior. We renew our mind. We're, we're getting all that. But some people say, I know all that stuff, Kevin. I get it. I, I know the information but I still struggle with sin. 
And then if you remember what I said at the end, because that was two weeks ago, I said, come back next week and we will give you the answer. You will hear the answer to the struggle. You see, but then we didn't have church. And actually, I was actually on vacation. So Tim was actually up to give that message. So I kind of pitched that. Tim's going to answer your question. But all of a sudden, we canceled church. Now Tim's on vacation. And so now it's back to me. So I don't know how that happened, but here it is. And, and so there's this passage of Scripture that we both uh, were talking about speaking on. And it's a classic passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 7. And so Tim's gone, and I called, hey, we had a brief phone call, and I said, Tim, I'm actually going to preach the, because the, we're moving on to another series next week, I'm actually going to preach the text that you're going to preach on. He did not give me his sermon, I just want you to know that, and he just left me there. But he said, well, Kevin, let me, let me I kind of boiled it down to four words, and they were some pretty good words. He said, I kind of boiled it down to four words, and that is possible normal, critical, and merciful. And I know those words don't mean anything to you now, but those are some good words because I believe those words really are characteristic, are descriptive of what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 7. I'm going to explain that in a moment. Before I get there, here's the key. You have to have all four going. You can't just do one or two or three of them. It's got to be all four principles for you to stay on top of sin, well, it's a little bit like this. Could you imagine walking on this crest? Have you ever seen a knife edge like that up in the mountains? It's actually called an arete. That's a French word for don't be an idiot. But it's A-R-E-T-E. A ret, and there I am. No, I'm just, that's not me. So he's not only doing this, he's balancing his camera. But here's what I want to point out. As this guy does this, he really needs four things, and he's got to do all four things. He needs to be sure-footed, Right? needs to have good balance, needs, needs to have a sharp eye for where he's going next, and he needs a clear mind. Take away one of those things, and what happens? He goes down. That's the way it is with these four words these four, that represent four principles. We're saying possible, normal, critical, merciful, and we'll, we'll put flesh on those bones. But you got to have all four. You can't do one, two, or three. You, you will not be victorious. you got to have all four. And the first one goes like this. Change is possible. Change is possible. I know some of you, you've been discouraged, maybe as a believer, and there's some area in your life, some sin, where you feel like, I just can't get traction here. I keep falling. This keeps happening. The first thing you need to hear is just, there is hope. Change is possible in Christ. And when you're frustrated by sin, you need to remember that God makes change possible. 
And so no matter what area of sin in your life that you're struggling with as a believer, and I believe we all have kind of different areas that are more problematic for us than others, no matter what your area is, change is possible. And as we, we've been going through this series, we've been uh, sharing stories of people who have made changes in their life. And today's the same way. Here is Paul Fisher from our church family. Hi, I'm Paul Fisher. I was a church kid that grew up in church, not really trying to do the God thing, the church thing. Uh, just wasn't who I was. I really wasn't trying to follow God like that. Everything around me was toxic. Everything that I did was for my own desires. It wasn't about, you know, hurting people, but we don't take the time to even think about who our actions affect. My sin of choice, I guess, was lust. Women, probably my greatest downfall. Really truly understanding now on the other side of it, how I hurt people. How every action I took led everybody around me to destruction. It wasn't something that I wanted to happen, but it was the end result, me wanting to follow my sin, put everybody in harm's way. But that's what sin does. So we took an invitation from my cousin and started coming to Grace. When I came in the door, I, I had set in my mind that this was not going to be the place that I go to church at. It was different to me. But from the first message, God started working on me. It was nothing like I was used to. It was the Bible being taught, expressed to me. Seeing Christ and how he loved me and what he did for me and trying to grapple with the fact that I was a sinful person and Christ still sacrificed all for me. Now, I believed in God. I believed in Christ didn't necessarily submit all the way. You know, you can believe in anything you want to believe in, but there's a big difference between believing it and truly following it. So, being hardhead like I usually am, I, I went down my road. I had all this knowledge, you know, knowledge about the Bible, knowledge about Jesus, but not quite applying it to my life. Fast forward, we go on into my life and some of those same sins rear their head. And it almost cost me everything. I was going to lose my family, my marriage, the woman I loved, the, I mean, my job, my, my house, everything. Everything that you could possibly lose as a man, I was going to lose it. I basically fell on my face, prayed to Christ, and accepted the grace that He gives, and really understood it for once. And, you know, it wasn't guaranteed that He was going to give me everything back. He restored everything, my marriage, the relationship with my kids, you know, restored me financially, restored my job, just everything that I actively tried to destroy, he brought back. My sinful nature, it's still there. You know, the only difference is that Christ has helped me to control that, helped me to no longer be that man, to see it for what it was, destruction and just chaos in my life. 
I'm not that guy that remembers scripture the best or, or even spends enough time with God in my Bible praying the way I should. I always feel like I'm lacking in that area. But there's one thing I know for sure. I know that he loves me and his love changed Now, if you're a believer here today, and not assuming that everyone is, of course, but if you are a believer here today, you can probably relate to Paul's story and his struggle with sin and how destructive that it ends up being in our lives. So no matter what you're dealing with, whether it's a reoccurring sin or a habitual sin or an addictive sin, what what you need to know is that change is possible. As a matter of fact, where we're focusing today is Romans chapter 7, but Paul writes another group of believers in Corinth, and in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, he puts it this way, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. So no matter what you're going through, no matter how bad your situation is or your temptation is, Paul's saying, you may think you're the only one, but you're not. Your issues are common to people. You're not the first And he's saying, God is not going to allow into your life any situation or any temptation that it's impossible for you to overcome without God's help. He will never put you in a position where you're faced with something that will steamroll you that you cannot do, that you cannot overcome without God's help in your life. But of course, God's help is key, no matter what it is. He's saying, we have no excuse. We can't say, well, I didn't stand a chance. It was way beyond me. There's nothing I could do. I had to give in. The devil made me do it. You know, we don't say those things. Because God's telling us he's not, as sovereign God of the universe, he's not letting anything into our lives that we don't have a chance. But on the flip side of that, none of us are sinless. I don't mean to imply because I'm saying there's no situation or temptation in your life that with God's help you cannot overcome. The flip side, though, you got to remember, but none of us have arrived. None of us are sinless, right? That's pretty obvious. We all have issues. God loves you and gives you hope, and there's no excuse as a believer. Now, change is possible. But you need to know more than that. Change is possible, but you need to understand that struggle is normal. Change is possible. That's the hope God gives us. But as believers, please know, struggle is normal. Trying hard, getting it, working at it, trying and not doing it sometimes. That struggle, it's real. We all struggle with sin. Even church leaders struggle with sin. Even pastors at Grace Community Church struggle with sin. Believe me, I know. 
I have an office right next to Pastor Tim, and he struggles with sin all the time. We all struggle with sin, all of us. And so we need to get, it's normal. Here, and don't just take my word for it. Listen to Paul. Maybe the greatest Christian that ever lived, right, wrote a big, a big chunk of the New Testament. What's he saying? Romans 7, beginning of verse 14, he says it this way. For we know that the law is spiritual. Now, when he's talking about the law, if you're new, he's talking about the Old Testament, like the Ten Commandments, the moral law of God, what we should and shouldn't do the moral right and wrong that God has given us. Paul says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I am, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. And then just before that, he wrote Romans 7, 7, he says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Because he's talking about this moral law. It brings up all of our shortcomings and it's sort of a negative in our life. He says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking the opportunity, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind, for apart from the law, sin is dead. So I mentioned, so what's he talking about? He's saying, hey, there's this law, this moral good, but it's the moral good that makes us realize how far off we are and how sinful for we are, and, and, and that it brings that sin out in us. Give you a, a great example of that. Last Sunday, level three. I'm actually on vacation, but I'm planning to attend Grace. And level three, what, what is that? First of all, I was raised in Colorado. There is no level three in Colorado. There's never a time where they say you cannot leave your house. And, and as a matter of fact, when the worst weather, I had an old four-wheel drive, I'd jump into my scout, and I would go looking around to see if anybody was off the roads, and I could pull people out, and hardly ever did I ever find anybody in that kind of a position, but, so that's my view, but no level threes. And don't get me wrong, I love being at my house. I love being at home on a snowy day in my warm house with my wife, Pam. That's good. But as soon as somebody says, it's a level three, you cannot leave your house. I'm like a caged animal. How many's with me on this? I'm like, a ca I'm like I gotta get out of here. We gotta get out there. What are, they can't keep me from, I can't be under house arrest. This is not right. I mean, I just go bonkers. Why? Why was I content to be home until they said, it's a level three? In this county, you'll get a ticket if you, what? Because that law, it brings out, sometimes brings out the worst in us. We all have this natural inclination in our old self to buck authority, to do what we want to do, to not have anybody tell us what is right and what is wrong. So we all have this nature in us. And as soon as something's declared off limits, it can create a desire in us to do that very thing. Now, what's interesting in Romans 7 is that Paul mentions the 10th commandment, thou shalt not covet. 
And here's why this is interesting. Remember, Paul was raised like a Pharisee, right? He was a, a Pharisee before he became a believer. As a Pharisee, what were Pharisees? They were basically lawyers who studied the Old Testament law and were experts on how that applies in life. Now, Paul would say, he would look at the Ten Commandments and he would say, well, I don't worship other gods. I don't make idols. I don't take the God, God's name in vain. He would say, you know, I, I keep the Sabbath. I honor my parents. I've, I've not murdered anybody. I've not committed adultery. I've not stolen anything. I don't lie. And as a Pharisee, he felt that he was keeping the law. And how, because the Pharisees over the centuries had built up this system where they figured out how they could keep the law in an external way. So he would simply say, I've not done any of those things. But then you get to commandment number 10. Thou shall not covet. You cannot keep commandment number 10 externally. Coveting is something in your heart, something you don't do with action. It's something inside of you. And I, I believe God used this last commandment of the 10, thou shall not covet, to, to help Paul realize, whoa, when he saw the law, he realized that in his heart was coveting of every kind. And all of a sudden he sees, wow, and, and then I think he saw it's not just coveting that's not external but internal. The whole law, and that's what Jesus told us, right? Jesus is going through the Ten Commandments, and he's saying, hey, you say you haven't murdered, but you hate. And, you know, over and over, he's telling us the law is just not external, it's also internal. And I believe it was commandment number 10 that helped Paul to be able to see that. And then he realized, I'm not keeping the law. I'm not keeping any of the law. I'm breaking it in my heart. And so here you have the struggle in Paul. Again, maybe the greatest Christian who ever lived. And here's what he said. This is a classic nutshell. Romans 7, beginning in verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Now, you can stop right that. That sounds a little bit crazy. What's he saying? What, what I want to do, I don't do. And so when I ended up doing it, it's not really me. You know what this reminds me of? Jekyll and Hyde. The, the old book written by uh, Stevenson back in 1886. I actually got the book because of this passage and read it which this guy was actually raised in a, in a Christian home, and you can kind of see that throughout the book. But, and, and I don't know, because there's always short movies and stuff, but here's the premise, because I think everybody has a little bit of an idea, but let me just footprint it for you. It's like this. So you have Dr. Jekyll. He's a physician, and he does a lot of good things, but he struggles with duality of his nature. And he realized that he could do even more good, but he's struggling with doing selfish and bad things. So he thinks... Hey, if I can only split the two, then during the day, I could be Dr. Jekyll and I could do way more good not being hindered by my bad side, my dark side, my selfish side, and I could do a lot good. And then 
at night, I can be Mr. Hyde and I can kind of do all, all the bad things that I want to do without being hindered by the morality and the guilt and everything that I, you know, I would do if, if it was Dr. Jekyll. So he develops this potion, right? We've, we've seen the cartoon, right? He develops the potion and then he drinks it and it splits him into two different people whenever he does, does the potion. And so he drinks it, he becomes Mr. Hyde. And then when he drinks it again, he becomes Dr. Jekyll. And so he finds, and here's his great discovery was, oh, the evil side of me was way, way, way worse than I ever dreamed, than I ever knew, than I ever realized. And so he does the potion, he is able to do good things, but then he realizes when he's Mr. Hyde, Hyde is doing way worse things than he ever thought Hyde would do. And it gets worse and worse and Hyde kills a man and all this stuff. So then he realizes, I can't do this anymore. And so he tries really, he's got to end this, he has to make a choice. And then he decides, yeah, I can't do this potion anymore. And so then he tries with all his might. And for four months, he does nothing but good. He is able to help people. He's able to heal people. You know, he's out there. He's a physician, so he can do a whole bunch of good. He eats, sleeps, drinks, even in the evenings, day. All his waking hours, he spends doing good. And at the end of that time, it's been four months and, and no hide. And he's sitting in a park, Regent Park, and he's contemplating about the four months. He's like, wow, look what I've accomplished. Look at the good that I've done. And he's observing people in the park. It's a beautiful day. And, he observe, and then he starts thinking, look, what I've, look at the good I've done. Not like those people who just live for themselves and live selfish lives. And, as, and he smiles to himself, and as soon as he does that, he looks down at his hands, and his hands start turning all gnarly, and he realizes that he's turned into Mr. Hyde without the potion. And then it's the whole struggle from there. You know, after that, you know, there's struggle, and, the, and Mr. Hyde becomes more and more powerful, and then he decides he's going to kill himself. Because, I mean, it's really uplifting reading. But anyway, that's, that's kind of the way it goes. But the point is, that's really kind of like the Christian life. We have this new life, but we still retain our old self. And so we're going, why am I doing that that I know that's wrong as a believer and I don't want to do? Why do I keep doing that? Because my old self, my flesh is still with me, even though God has brought new life into my soul. He's made me a new creation. But, but here's the thing, Paul's not saying, hey, the struggle is normal, so don't worry about it. He's not, it's all four, remember? It's not the struggle is normal, so quit fighting it. The struggle is normal, so don't worry about it. The struggle is normal, so just give it up. He's not saying that. He's saying change is possible, struggle is normal as we do that, but also, third thing, third word, Change is critical. Change is critical to the Christian life. That's this whole word, repent. Repent, I mean, this is what Jesus came, he came preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Peter, in the first ser sermon, really, after the resurrection of Christ, he ends that sermon, how? 
He's talking about Jesus and basically says, repent. And what repentance is, is a change of mind about Jesus that leads us to a change in behavior. So repentance or change is critical to the Christian life. We cannot have victory or we cannot leave that one out and just go with, hey, hey, change is possible, the struggle is normal, and so I'm not going to work. No, change is critical, foundational to the Christian life. The normal Christian life is to turn from the way you were living to follow Jesus and his teachings. Now, side note, to not have a desire to change would be evidence that you may not be a believer. If you're sitting here thinking, well, you know, I've been a believer for 20 years, and, you know, and I know this whole series is about change, but I, I'm not really feeling that whole change thing. I don't really have this inner desire to be more like Jesus or this guilt that makes me think, man, i got to cut that out. I, I don't struggle like that. Well, if you never struggle with change or repentance or struggle to change your life to truly follow Christ from the inside out, then that's evidence that you are, may not, you are, that, that would show that you're not a believer. And so you need to wrestle with that because change is critical to the Christian life. In the previous chapter, Romans 6, beginning verse 1, he says, what shall we say then? Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Hey, we should never accept our sinful habits as being okay or dismiss them. Because here's the danger. The longer we do sinful things, issues in our life, and the more we give expression to that, the more calloused we become to God's truth speaking to that area of our life. The more calloused we become to God in that thing in our life. Change is critical. I, I, as a pastor, thinking about this text, a lot of times people will come in and, and they'll just be broken. Yeah, Kevin, I am so struggling with this area of my life, this sin in my life. I'm just struggling. I know it's not right. And I just can't get it. I can't get any traction in my life. It's just not happening. And, and they, they're broken. They struggle. And, and they'll even be like, I, I, I thought I repented. I mean, asking God for help. I, I thought I repented. I went another way. And then I ended up doing it again. And now I'm embarrassed to even talk to God about it anymore. As a matter of fact, I'm even wondering if I'm even a believer, how could a believer keep struggling with this issue in their life? It's ironic that they question their salvation because people who are broken over their sin like that, they're almost always Christians. Non-believers are not broken over their sin. It's, they, have the, they come down to this last question, I don't even know if I'm a believer, but the fact that they're struggling with it is the best evidence that they are a believer. And, and so you help them see that. Struggle is normal. Change is critical. And then Paul cries out in verse 24, he says, wretched man that I am. Change is critical. He's saying, wretched man that I am. This is not good enough, he's saying. Wretched man that I am, 
Who will set me free from the body of this death? What he's saying is, we as believers, we have this new life infused into us, but we still carry around the old self. Now, Paul may may have had something in mind as he penned this, because we know that in some Roman provinces during the first century, that there was a particularly gruesome punishment for a murderer. And And one of those provinces would be Tarsus, where Paul was from, so he may have seen this. But the punishment for a convicted murderer was that they would take the person that he killed's body, take that corpse, and tie it tightly to the murderer's body. And he could never take it off or he'd be killed. And so he would start living the rest of his life with this rotting corpse on his back. And then that would bring infection into his body and it would bring a slow death to him And so it could be that that's in Paul's head as he's writing this, who will set me free from this body of death? And in the next breath, he answers his own question. He answers ours. He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that brings us to the fourth word, God is merciful. Change is possible. Struggle is normal. Change is critical. God is merciful. And I only say that because I know some, because Paul's saying it, you know, thanks be to God. But I know some people, when, when you're struggling with sin, when we struggle with our sin, we cry out to God so many times, and maybe we've been come back so many times struggling with the same thing. And at some point, we, we think, I, I'm embarrassed to go to God. I can't keep doing this. It's a joke that I would come to God. I've done this a hundred times. You don't understand the mercy of God. Who else are you going to go to? God loves you. The struggle is normal. Do not give up. Do not become calloused to the sin in your life. Keep coming to God. This is what Paul's trying to tell us. Thanks, he says in verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he continues, so then on the one hand, I myself with my mind, kind of coming full circle here, with my mind, am serving the law of God. But on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. And then the next verse begins chapter 8, and it says this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Four verses later, he circles around again. Hey, if you're a believer, we have our mind on spiritual things, and it's all back to the mind, how we put our mind on God's truth. we got to keep intaking his truth. It changes our thinking. That changes our behavior. And we offer our lives, Paul's saying in Romans, as living sacrifices to God. It's a reasonable thing for us to do, not conforming to the world but being transformed 
into new people by the renewing of our minds. And then, more and more, we can leave our old self behind, put on the new life that God has given us by renewing our minds. And then we are God-changed as we go forward in life. Please understand something. Don't be sitting here as a person, you're not sure you've put your trust in Christ alone for your salvation. And so you're just kind of, we always have non-believers here. Please don't understand. Do not try to change up your life. Do not think, hey, you know, I've been hanging around at Grace a little bit, and I've been considering the claims of Jesus, and man, I'm almost there. I think it's true, but I need to clean up my life, because these are some pretty nice people. I need to clean up my life so I can come to God. Do not think that, because you are incapable of cleaning up your life and squaring yourself away. You need Jesus in your life. Come as you are. We all have issues. We are all messed up. God is inviting you to come to him. He welcomes you. He invites you. That's the reason. God knows you better than you know yourself. And God loves you more than you've ever dreamed. So much so that at great cost, he provided a way. You see, we're all sinners. We're all in the same boat. We deserve punishment from God for what we've all done. That punishment is separation from God forever in a place called hell. But God loves us so much. At great cost to himself, he sent his one and only son to come live a life without sin and therefore be the only one qualified to be our substitute in that punishment, and Christ takes our punishment for sin as our substitute, and that allows God, who is perfectly just, to forgive us without violating his own justice, because sin has been paid for. God can't wink at sin. And when we make this transaction with God, it's the moment we, play, we cry out to God for help. We place our trust in Jesus alone for our salvation, what he did, that what he did was sufficient to pay for all our sins, past, present, future. When we do that, God comes into our life by way of his spirit, and he helps us live the Christian life. That's what he wants for all of us. Come to Christ. Don't try to get straightened out first. Paul said in Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Change is possible. Struggle is normal. Change is critical to the Christian life. And God is merciful. Let's pray together. Father God, we, we thank you for the day that we can be together and we can turn our hearts and our minds on you. And Father, uh, we understand that not everyone here is a believer. 
And uh, and first, our prayer, Lord, is that for those who have not taken that step of faith, not crossed that line of trusting in only Jesus, Lord, that you would draw them to yourself, that you would illuminate them, help them to see your truth, and they would act on it like all of us who are believers have done, because we're all in the same boat. And Father, for us who are believers, God, help us to live your life. Help us to follow you more closely. Help us to live the normal Christian life, which is a life of transformation. Because you've made us new creations. Lord, help us to live like that. And God, most of all, all of us, we thank you that you know us better than we know ourselves. And you love us more than we've ever dreamed. Thanks. In Christ's name, amen.